hope it's okay if I stand. I'd like to move around a little bit. So, first of all, I want to thank Rabbi Sass for, for the introduction. It's actually, he didn't realize it was, it was more of an introduction than he realized, as my father is a Talmud of Torah Vadas and a Talmud of Rafam, and I majored in accounting in college and actually <laughs> took the CPA until I had a little bit of a, of a career change later on. So it's, a, it's an incredible, an incredible source to be here with all of you. And the truth is, as I mentioned, this is actually my first time in this building. I've spent a lot of time throughout the years in different buildings on TA's campuses and my first time here. And I have to tell you just the avira, the atmosphere of walking in, maybe it's just a din in early childhood, but I think it might be also a din just in the literal, like physical luminescence of the space. You walk in here and you feel just a burst of creativity, a burst of excitement, of hope, of optimism, a potential melding of two worlds. I was taken by the rocking chair, which I think is like an age-old staple of early childhood. <laughs> this television, this screen that looks too big to even be manufactured. But, you know, it, it, it's an, but, but I think it probably speaks to a lot of what you hope to accomplish here, which is melding of a lot of different things. Taking the ways of Yaakov, Saba, Kadisha, taking the ways of our ancestors, taking the ways of the Torah, Kedosha, which are timeless, which are timeless, and work in every single generation and provide chizik, and provide chinuch, and provide hadracha for every single generation, but also taking the new, taking the modern, taking things that the greater world has to offer us, and figuring out how to utilize them as vehicles of delivery for those timeless lessons, for those timeless ideals. So it's an incredible schos to be here with all of you today. I know that I, my job is to give some words of chizuk, but I have to say, basi lechazek, I came to me to give chizuk, but the chizuk you have given me just by allowing me to tap into the energy of this special room with these incredibly special people. I have incredible hakar satov. So to share with you just a few short ideas. I've, I've had the privilege over the years to, to speak at different teacher orientations. I'm hopefully going to be at Beis Yaakov a little bit later on in Mir Sashem this morning as well. This is my first early childhood. Um, my first early childhood orientation. So I was thinking, what, what is it to share with this incredible group of people who are responsible for chinuch at the earliest stages. And we know, all of you know, because these are your professional lives, and I'm sure you know in your personal lives as well, what happens in a child's early educational career. What happens in those young years literally puts them on a path going forward. Now, it doesn't mean that if missteps occur that they can't be corrected, or if difficulties occur that they can't be adjusted. Of course they can, of course they can. But so much of what happens in these younger formative years determines the identity of a young man as he progresses through life. So based on that, not, not that you have such an important job, other than that, right? Other than determining the future, right? Mental health, sense of self and confidence of our young men, other than that, it's a walk in the park. But what could I share with you maybe to, to help you along a little bit in this sacred mission? So I wanted to share with you a few, a few ideas. There's an incredible mission in Pirkei Avos. So the Mishnah says, it's a Mishnah we're all familiar with in the second chapter of Pirkei Avos. So the Mishnah discusses the Talmidim of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, I think one could say, is probably responsible for saving Klal Yisrael during the times of the Churban Bayesheni. Second base Hamikdash was destroyed. 
It was an existential threat, unlike the first Beis Hamikdash, where the Navi told us it was going to be a seven-year diaspora. When the second Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, it was not clear what the future of Cloud Yisrael was going to be. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai single-handedly instituted a whole series of takanas. Some that are zeichel lechurban, some that are zeichel mikdash. So takanas that are there to allow us to remember that which has been lost, and takanas which are there to remind us to eagerly, anticipatorily pine for that which will occur. So the Mishnah discusses Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had a number of talmidim. The Mishnah actually records that they had five. He had five talmidim. Chamisha talmidim Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Now the truth is. Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai had many more than five Talmidim, but the Mishnah records five. I'm not going to go through all of them, I just want to draw your attention to one of them. The Eluhain, the first one mentioned, a man by the name of Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos. So the Mishnah then goes on after describing or after articulating the five different Talmidim, their traits. What was unique about Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos? He was a Bur Sid She'eno Ma'abed. Tipa, which literally means a cemented cistern who never lost a drop. Which meant that Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus had profound powers of retention. That whatever he learned stayed in. Right? Who's not jealous of that? I can't remember what happened this morning. Right? Let alone Rabbi Eliezer. Literally, it went in and it stayed in. I want to tell you a little bit about the story, the life story of Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, and then you'll appreciate the incredible God will he became. It became the story. Rabbi Elizabeth Horkinus's life is retold really in two different places. One of it is in the Gemara. The other part is in the Medrash. So the Medrash begins with Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus's childhood. And I want to quote you because I find it quite profound. I'm not going to quote you too much. Just a little piece. Ben shana haya lama Torah. Rabbi Elizabeth Horkinus, now you could tell, you could tell, what can you tell about Rabbi Elizabeth ben Horkinus' family just from his name? What can you tell? Oh, this is just like class. This is amazing. Yeah, excellent. Right? Everybody's sitting in the back, right? The rest of that. Hey, what, what, can you, what can you tell from his name? What can you, I'm sorry? Greek. Greek. I can always depend on Chaya. Excellent, right? right. So, right, that, that obviously, it's interesting. Horkinus is, as they say, not exactly a Yiddish nomen, right? It's not exactly a Jewish name. Rabbi Elizabeth ben Horkinus came from a family that was not steeped in Torah at all. And that's putting it mildly. He was 22 years old, the Medrash says, and he had not learned one word of Torah. A profoundly ignorant adult. Now his father was very wealthy. Horkinus was a very wealthy landowner. And Horkinus had one simple aspiration for his children. Family business. Just come into the family business, you're going to work the land. So young Eliezer ben Horkinus, young Eliezer, is an agrarian. He's a farmer. He's working the land, managing his father's holdings. Incredible. Medrash says, one day, Pam achos amar, Eilech ve'elma tor lifnei Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. One day, Horkinus comes to his father and he says, Dad, I decided what I want to do with my life. I decided what I want to do now that I'm grown up. I want to go to Yerushalayim Irakodash. And I want to learn Torah with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. I want to learn Torah in the base medrash of the Gadol Hadar. That's my dream. That's my dream. Horkinus responds, His father says, I'm not going to give you any more food until you get back into the field. Horkinus didn't even dignify his son's request with a response. 
He didn't say no. He didn't say let's talk about it. He didn't say let's discuss it. He just said to him, we're not even having a conversation about this. We're not even talking about this. There's work to be done. There's fields to be tilled. And if you want to eat dinner, you better get back to work. And the Medrash goes on that this, this exchange happened a number of times until young Eliezer decided that his only recourse was to leave home. He packs up, tells no one of his plans, heads out to Yerushalayim. Comes to Yerushalayim, finds the base medjish of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He sits down, he comes to Shir. And what does he find when he comes to Shir? He has no idea what's going on. And understandably so. He's just come to the highest Torah dignitary in the entire land, the Gad Ladar. Gad Ladar presumably gives a pretty high level shir. He's not giving the beginner Gemara shir. He's even the highest level shir. Eliezer ben Horkin is all excited, all pumped. I left home, I finally summoned up the courage. Comes to and that which he wanted most doesn't materialize. He goes to the back of the base medrash and he begins to cry. He begins to cry. You know, sometimes the way it works in life is that you see a person who's struggling and if we're honest, very often we try to pretend like we don't see. Simply because I don't have the bandwidth to get involved. I know that if I ask you how you're doing, I know that if I ask you what's, what's wrong, it's going to be a whole thing. And the truth is I don't have time. Eliezer is sitting in the back of the base medrash, back of the base medrash crying. No one stops, except for one man, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the Gadol Hadar, see, everyone else is too busy. The Gadol Hadar wasn't too busy. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai stops. He says, what's your name? Eliezer, where are you from? Wherever he was from, he was from the north of Eretz Yisrael. He said, what's wrong? He said, Rabbi, I came here to learn Torah, and I know absolutely nothing. So he said, okay, nothing. Well, you mean, you mean you don't know, you don't know the Masechta we're learning? You know, you don't know this? He's like, you must know Brachos, I don't know brachos. You must know Shema. I don't know Shema. You must know Birkas Hamazon benching. I don't know benching. And on that day, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said to young Eliezer, I'll be your Rebbe. I'll be your Rebbe. And day after day, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sits with young Eliezer ben Horkinus, Aleph Beis, Brachos, Kriyashma, Birkas Hamazon until Eliezer ben Hurkunus rises in prominence in the base Medrash, till he becomes the most outstanding student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. But the story's not finished. The way the story ends is as follows. Now, Eliezer ben Hurkunus is learning in Yerushalayim, in the yeshiva Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was also the head of the Sanhedrin. So he would adjudicate many cases that came along. Lo and behold, he sees the docket. And who's on the docket for that day? Horkinus. Horkinus is on the docket. Why is Horkinus coming to the Beisdin? See, remember, no one ever knew what happened to Eliezer. They just figured he ran away from home because he didn't want to work. So Horkinus was coming up to Yerushalayim because he wanted to amend his will. And he wanted to give all of his property to all of his sons and write Eliezer out of the will. That's why he was coming to Yerushalayim. 
Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sees this. And l- listen, listen to what happens. So you have to understand. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is sitting in the base madras, ready to adjudicate this case. Eliezer, his trusted Talmud, is there. Seated amongst the audience, this Horkinus, waiting for his turn. Right? Horkinus doesn't recognize his son. Son doesn't recognize his father. It's been decades since they've seen each other. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai goes over to Eliezer and he says, Eliezer, Pasach vidarash. Eliezer, you know, you've been learning all of these years and you've never given a shear in the base of Today, I want you to give a shear to everyone. Amar lo, eini yachol liftoach. Eliezer ben Hurkana says, Rebbe, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I'm, I'm not ready. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, dochak bo, v'dach bo chaveirav. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai pushes him. His friends begin to push him. So listen to what the Gemara says. Rabbi Elizabeth Horkinus gave a shir and he delivered chidushim, novel ideas that the world never heard before. Everything that came out of his mouth was a new piece of Torah that the world had never heard. I'm sorry, called Davar Vedavar Shatzimipiv. And every single word that Rabbi Yochanan ben, excuse, that Rabbi Elizabeth Horkin has said, Amad Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai al-Raglav v'nashka al-Rosho. It's such an incredible image. Every word that the Talmud said, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai got up, kissed him on the head, and sat back down. Who sees all of this occurring? Who sees all of this? Horkinus. Horkinus stands up. And Horkinus says, you know, I came here I came here to go ahead and write my son out of my will. I came here to write him out. And what happens? What happened? Achshav, But now I hereby declare in front of all of you, my entire estate is given to Eliezer. So it sounds like a great end of the story. Right? Beautiful end of the story. I mean, it's not so good. Clearly, it's not good parenting. Don't write anyone out of the will. But right, that's a difference here. Right? But, but, but Lamaisa, but Lamaisa sounds like a beautiful end to the story. But that's not where the story ends. Listen to the conclusion. Rabbi Eliezer comes face to face with his father for the first time in many years. And he says, Father, if I want land, if I want money, it all belongs to God anyway. Money, it all belongs to God anyway. Father, the only thing I really want in life is Torah. And the Bashant of HaKadosh says, that there's an, another end to the story. The other end to the story is Eliezer says to his father, have it all wrong. All I ever wanted from you was to believe in me. All I ever wanted from you was to have confidence in me. All I ever wanted from you is that when I was a 22-year-old ignorant Jew who wanted to learn, and I came to you with my goals and my aspirations and my dreams, all I ever wanted you was to say to me, Tatala, Shefla, you can do it. I don't want your money. I don't need your land. 
I wanted the one thing that I needed more than anything from you in that moment. And that was your approval, your love, and your confidence in me that I could become anything. It's the job of a parent to give that to a child, but often parents, for whatever reason, aren't able to give it. But sometimes, what parents can't give at home, a mora or a teacher is obligated, is obligated to give in the classroom. See, the most incredible thing that you can give your students is not some form of pedagogy, which is important, and it's not deciding which one of the multiple intelligences they fit into, also incredibly important, but the most important thing that a teacher could give a student, and this is true at any age, but it's certainly true when they start out, is the ability for the child to feel that there is someone who believes in me. There is someone who believes that I can be whatever I want to be. And I'll tell you a story. I said this over, I don't remember where I said it. So if you heard it, I apologize. It wasn't at, a, at an early childhood orientation, but might, a number of years ago, I got a call from a parent who was very panicked. And the parent said, I think that there's something wrong with my child. Okay, what's, what's wrong? I, I, first thing I say is, I think you have the wrong number. Like if you have a halachic shayla or something, else, I'm happy to help. Something wrong with your child, you might need to seek out. But I'm happy to listen, happy to listen. So the, so the mother told me, my kid constantly says he wants to be a washing machine. Wants to be a washing machine. Yomam balayla, he goes down, he plays by the washing machine, he touches the washing machine, he's this washing machine, and it's embarrassing. So people ask, what do you want to be? I want to be a washing machine. I want to be a washing machine. Oh, infatuation with the washing machine. So the mother's like, what should I do? I, right? I, we've told him, no, you can't be a washing machine. That's ridiculous. You can't do it. I said, look, I'm not a parenting guru. I'm certainly not a mental health guru. I'm not a, I'm not a guru in anything. But I'll tell you is, never tell your child they can't do something, even being a washing machine. Right now, your kid doesn't understand things. So right now, they're infatuated with the washing machine. I said, maybe it's a compliment for you. Maybe you keep a very clean home. So right there, but whatever it is, but right now, that's where they're holding. I said, the best thing you could do as a parent for now at a child of a young age is encourage them to believe that they could do whatever they want to do. Okay, you can't let it go on for too long. Right? At a certain point, I mean, you have to shut that down. But at the end of the day, the job of a parent, the job of a teacher, the job of a school is to allow children to believe in themselves, that you could become whatever you want to become. Obviously, as we get older, we recognize that although that's true big adult, there are of course limitations in life. We have personalistic limitations, we have lifestyle limitations, we have relationship limitations, but it doesn't change the fact that the way Chinuch is supposed to begin is with a fundamental belief that I can become anything. And when your children come into your classroom, and your children come into your world, a teacher becomes a surrogate parent. The teacher is not there to replace the parent. The teacher is not there to contradict the parent. The teacher is there to supplement. And you know, you know as parents and you know as teachers, that not every parent is equipped to give their child what they need in order to be successful in life. And the great, the most important, often overlooked piece about Chinuch, and I would say this, and I say this every time I speak to teachers, and sometimes it meets with very unpopular responses. I would say, as a non-professional educator, 
conveyance of information is the least important part of education and conveyance of self-esteem, self-worth, self-confidence, belief in self are the most important parts. Now, they're not contradictory. We have to do both. But at the end of the day, I could tell you, I, mean, I, never, I try never to say this in front of my parents because they spent a lot of money in tuition. I remember very little of anything I learned in elementary school. I'm sure if I went to TA, it would have been different. In elementary <laughs> school, in high school, right? Even in college, even in college, to, to, to be very honest, to be very honest, very little. What I do remember are the teachers who believed in me. What I do believe is that when I was struggling with something, there was someone who was there and there are people who were not. And I remember both of those things. And I remember that there were people who came in and they were clock punchers and they did their job, taught their thing and got out. And then I remembered people who saw me not just simply as a student on a roster or part of a job, but people who saw me as part of their life responsibility. That when I was in their classroom, it wasn't just about learning to do this or learning to do that or scoring this or scoring that. But they took an active interest in the person I was and in the person I was capable of becoming. We have to be so careful. You see, Horkinus, I guarantee you, wasn't a bad guy. I'm sure he wasn't a bad guy. Just when he looked at his 22-year-old ignorant son, he's like, come on. Be real about who you are and be real about what you can do and be real about what you can't do. Why are you filling your head with ideas that are simply beyond reach? Why are you filling your heart with aspirations that are not going to materialize? Just be honest. Just be real about who and what you are. You're a good farmer and nothing more. Stop it. How crushing that must have been for Rabbi Eliezer. See, the difference is, most people, when they get crushed like that, just begin to believe it. Okay, my father doesn't believe me, he thinks about nothing, he thinks I'm just an ignorant farmhand. I guess that's what I am. Eliezer had the remarkable personal strength to be able to go out on his own. And I think that this is such an incredibly important part, and I'm sure all of you do this, and I think probably to be an early child to teach you, by definition, have to live this mantra that it's not simply about the conveyance of information, but it is about giving children a sense of belief in themselves, that I, your mora, I, your teacher, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I believe that you could be something more spectacular than you could even ever imagine. And I believe that you could accomplish things that you can't even visualize for yourself. And as the teacher, I convey that, both in word, Deed, and more important, I emote it. Because you know, when you have someone in life who believes in you, you feel that. You feel it. They don't have to necessarily say anything. They don't have to do anything. Because often when you believe in someone, you emote that feeling towards them. That is the sacred task of a teacher, the sacred task of a more, the sacred task of anyone. Anyone who chooses a beautiful olamazeh to be involved in chinuch. But I think in order to do this, in order to really believe in our kids, we have to, I want to try not to go over my time, I'm sorry. So to go, so if you can give me five more minutes. To be able to do this, I'll just share with you two other quick ideas. Number one, 
there's such an interesting idea. We had it a couple of parashios ago. Moshe Rabbeinu Chumash Devarim. Right? Chumash Devarim is a unique Chumash. Because unlike the other Chumashim in the Torah which follow a structure, Devarim really is like free flow. And the reason Devarim is a free flow is because Sefer Devarim is Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to Kalal Yisrael. You know how sometimes if you're leaving the house, if a person is a parent and they're leaving the house, and like maybe you're going away for a little bit and you want to convey instructions to your kids, right? So what do you do? You give instructions and then you have a foot out and they, oh, but, but this, right? And, and then I call and then I this. Like when you know that you're separating from someone, there's a certain level of separation anxiety and that I, I need to give you everything. Moshe Abinu is having separation anxiety from Cloud Yisrael. He knows he's not going in with them. And so he's trying desperately to convey to them anything and everything he can so that they can be successful. So he recalled, Moshe Rabbeinu recounts a number of things that happened historically. One of them is as follows. This is in Parakir Pasak Aleph. Keeping it short. Moshe Rabbeinu, we know again, comes down with the first set of luchos, smashes them. Hashem says, fine, come back up, come back up. I'm going to go ahead and give you another set of luchos where you have to hew the stone yourself. Bring down the luchos, and when you bring them back down, you'll make an aron. An aron, a box. This was not the Nessa, the aron of Betzalel, right? But this is, you'll make a box to house. And Rashi says, Rashi says, by, Moshe tells Kalei, so by the way, Hashem's order was make the luchos and then the aron. Moshe said, I changed it. I changed it. I made the aron and then the luchos. And the truth is, you hear Moshe Rabbeinu is changing, you say to yourself, makes a lot of sense. So what's the question? What's the question? So why did Hashem give him that order? In other words, so I get it. You're right. Moshe Rabbeinu's logic was, I'm going to come down with the luchos. What am I going to do? I'm just going to hold them? Like, what, what, where, where, where should I put them? Where, where, where exactly do you put the luchos? So Moshe says, when I come down, I have to have a receptacle. I have to have a box to put the luchos. Great cheshman. But yet Rebosh told him, Make the luchos. Now, by the way, Moshe was absolutely okay with Moshe Rabbeinu's change. But why did Hashem instruct it in a different way? And I think that there's a very simple machlokas. You see, here's the difference. A box, a box, which is the aron, represents defined parameters. The Ribono Shal Olam does not live in the box. So as far as the Ribono Shal Olam is concerned... You take the luchos. Luchos is Torah. Luchos is spirituality. Luchos is potential. You can't put potential in a box. If you put potential in a box, then at the end of the day, you're going to fundamentally stymie and limit it. Moshe Rabbeinu, as great as he was, was a man who lived in Olam Hazah. He was of this world. He was of this world. And of this world, you know what we love more than anything? If we're honest, you know what we love? We love boxes. We love boxes. Boxes are great. Because boxes provide order, right? So we like religious boxes, right? Yeshivish, Hasidish, modern yeshivish, this yeshivish, used to be yeshivish, primarily yeshivish, want to be yeshivish, modern, not so modern, too modern, exceptionally modern, right? We do this with shiduchim. We, we do it, we, we love boxes. We love boxes. Because in Olam Haza, which is a world of limitations, by definition, we make boxes. Well, if we strive to be at Selam Elohim, then in this respect, we have to go ahead and learn to live outside of the box as well. And especially in the realm of Chinuch. I will tell you, when I first started in the Rabbanos, I feel like I'm getting old, about uh, 
23 years ago. I was in New Jersey, and I had a father who came to me. His daughter, his daughter, his daughter couldn't get into a high school. It was a whole difficult thing. And I said, like, what's like, what's the problem? Father, just imagine this thing. The father's coming. Father's coming with the daughter, and the father says, "Oh, she can't do math. She's terrible at math." And like, it like took me. I thought maybe I misheard it. And daughter's standing right there. Daughter's standing right there. Father must have said it like 15 times. Like felt like somebody was paying him every single time. He said, my daughter can't do math. Right? Daughter's there. The daughter's looking down. She's turning red. She's turning red. And I thought to myself, you probably put her in the box of can't do math from whatever age she started having difficulties, which is normal. And so here is a child who has been boxed. They've been boxed. You know, once you've been boxed, that's it. Going back, there are some people like Rabbi Elizabeth and Horkinus who find their way to fight their way out of the box. Most people don't. Most people, once they're boxed, just simply remain inside of the box. And it is so easy to box children. It is so easy. There are good children and there are that children. Somebody told me, not in the, from a different school, that they had a, t- had a pre- pre-meeting with administrators and they went through the list, list of cl- kids in the class. I said, well, what, what did you do? Oh, we have to identify the good kids and the bad kids. I said, like, I was like, is, like, is it on that way on Excel? Like, like, there's like, you know, the good kids page, the bad page. No, not in Excel, but we know who the good kids are, the bad kids are. And what I wanted to say was, please, like, go into accounting. Then, like, right, then, then get out of education. Get out of education. Because if you're a boxer, meaning not like that, but like, you know, boxer, right? <laughs> then at the end of the day, that could work beautifully well in many areas of life. But it is the worst avera, the most terrible avla, to have that midah in chinuch. Do we have to be real about where children are holding? Do we have to be able to diagnose difficulties and challenges? Of course. But the purpose of a diagnosis is not to box. The purpose of the diagnosis is to go ahead and allow for self-actualization. And this leads me to my last part, and with this I conclude. Rabbi Nachman Abraslov says something amazing. The Rebbe discusses the idea that when we daven, he discusses an existential idea which I think all of us struggle with. What is the power of tefillos without kavana? Right? If you think about it for just a moment, a lot of times we daven, I have zero kavana. Like zero, zero, zero kavana. I did it, I checked the box, I have, but no kavana. So the Rebbe says, a person might say, a person might say, well, a tefillah with no kavana, what's the point of davening? Just forget the whole thing. Rabbi Nachman says something so incredibly beautiful, if you have to imagine this. The Rebbe says, tefillahs without kavana do not ascend to Shamayim. That's what the Rebbe says. They don't go anywhere. They stay in your heart. They stay with you. But the Rebbe says, because if you could imagine, when there's no kavana, it's like there's a bottleneck. Like there's a bottleneck, right? I'm just, I'm stuck. I'm stuck, can't go anywhere. The Rebbe says, but the moment you have one tefillah with kavana, that tefillah opens the blockage. And with that one kavana dik tefillah, it brings up everything else with it. Sometimes kids have blockages. And sometimes it is the job of a teacher to identify what the blockage is. I can't box. I can't box. But I have to identify what the blockage is. But understand, if you can identify the blockage, 
then you could remove it, or at least ameliorate it, or at least address it, or cater a chinuch that helps with that blockage, that child will absolutely unequivocally flourish. So if we bring all of this together, what we have is, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus teaches us, the most important thing that you could do as a mora, as a teacher, as someone in chinuch, is to believe in your students and to allow them to feel that you really believe in them. But at the end of the day, how do you go ahead and truly actualize that belief in your students? Number one, don't box them. And number two, recognize that even if they have a blockage, it is your sacred task to help remove it. And the moment that you do, you will see them succeed, you will see them flourish, you will see them self-actualize. Kodesh Baruch should give all of you incredible siyat adishmaya. Because teachers, I'll say this now, Rabbi Sass is not here, teachers are underpaid and teachers are underappreciated and we don't understand the role that mechanchos play in the future of Amish. Everyone says it, but if we really believed it, they would be paid just like the CEO of any other company, or if not like the CEO, it's the CFO. You know, so, something to recognize. Okay, that's a discussion for a different time. Halavai Klali, so we'll figure that out one day. But don't let sometimes the lack of gashmias or the lack of recognition undervalue what it is that you do. You are truly the future, responsible for the future of Am Yisrael. Kaddish Baruch Hu should give you incredible siyata dishmaya, incredible strength, staying power, unbridled optimism, hope, excitement, belief in the next generation. And Amir Hashem, may each of you be zocha to have a hand in the future continuity of Cloud Yisrael at Biyaskom Hirabi Aminu. Amen.